Walk up to a stranger on the street and ask him how science and religion relate. Chances are he will answer with words like conflict or even war. An article in a scientific journal reveals some little-known facts. Let's talk about the war that never was. This is Truth in the Test Tube, a program where we examine nature with the logic of cause and effect, suggesting that nature is an effect whose cause is God. So let's turn up the heat, add the light of analytical thinking, and see what truth bubbles up. 19th century Englishman Thomas H. Huxley promoted Darwin's ideas so enthusiastically he was called Darwin's Bulldog. But a recent journal article reveals Huxley was not witnessing a fight between faith and science. He was trying to provoke one. Do you mean Huxley wasn't seeing a fight, but trying to start one? Yes. That statement appears in the September 2008 issue of the Journal of the American Scientific Affiliation. Wheaton College professor Timothy Larson calls his article, War is over if you want it, beyond the conflict between faith and science. He's also written a book-length analysis entitled Crisis of Doubt, Honest Faith in 19th Century England, published by the highly respected Oxford University Press. Does Dr Larson mean Huxley wasn't looking for truth, but trying to advance some kind of personal agenda? Yes, Huxley didn't obey the principle of following truth wherever it leads. But many scholars during the lifetime of Huxley and Darwin did follow that principle. Many of them realised there was never really a war between science and Christianity. For example, George Sexton was the only 19th century atheistic scientist in Britain who had an earned PhD degree. He was a fellow of the Royal Anthropological Institute, the Zoological Society, and the Royal Geographical Society. As Sexton studied more, he abandoned atheism and became a follower of Jesus Christ. Who else made that change? Dr Larson calculates that at least 20% of the top leadership of organised atheism or secularism in 19th century Britain eventually came to Christian faith and went on to defend Christian doctrine publicly. These were scholars who'd read and understood all sides of the issue. After becoming Christians, these former leaders of atheism spent the rest of their lives lecturing, debating and writing on how faith and learning harmonised. With intellectual vigour, they tackled the issues they'd raised as sceptics and they wrote numerous books and articles detailing why they were convinced that the latest scientific thought agreed with believing the Bible was truthful. Well, that's very different from what I hear and read in many places. The idea that scientific progress disproved religious belief has been the majority opinion in many countries for at least 50 years. Dr Larson says, despite this being presented as the main story, it does not, however, measure up. Then, why do many scholars write about scientists supposedly having a loss of faith? Larson responds, a possible explanation is that the conversion narratives fit into another pattern, the war between faith and learning. The public in many countries has been told, in the 19th century the human race learned enough to realise that faith is not credible. In the 20th century, this realisation became widespread. People who were intelligent and brave and keeping up with their reading therefore inevitably lost their faith. What does Dr Larson answer? 
His research discovered that this is simply a false picture of the relation between faith and learning in the 19th century. The intellectual claims of Christianity were very convincing to many of the smartest, best-read people, even to those who begun with a deep bias against the Bible. In Larson's words, the so-called war between faith and learning, specifically between Christian theology and science, was manufactured during the second half of the 19th century. It was created for propaganda purposes. To convince people of atheism. Who wrote these manufactured ideas? Well, after Huxley, the primary people involved were chemistry professor William Draper and Cornell University founder Andrew Dixon White. Dr. Larson writes that Draper and White were not simply describing an ongoing war between theology and science, but rather they were endeavouring to induce people into imagining that there was one. That's a strong accusation. How does Dr. Larson support it? He writes, in order to do this, they repeatedly made false claims that the church had opposed various scientific breakthroughs and developments. For example, they popularised the false idea that Christians had insisted that the earth was flat. The flat earth issue supposedly came up when Christopher Columbus planned to sail west to find the east. The usual way of travelling from Spain to India was eastward over land. Columbus thought that if the earth was round, he could reach India by travelling westward over the ocean. Well, as far as he knew, there was only one ocean. No one knew the Western Hemisphere existed, and that later geographers would show that the oceans were divided into the Atlantic, the Pacific, and other oceans and seas. One version of his legend claims church leaders opposed Columbus's trip because Columbus thought the earth was round. That story's been told so widely that even most Christians assume it's true. Did the church leaders object to the idea that he could reach India by sailing west? Only to one technical detail. Their objection was that the earth was much bigger than he was assuming, and therefore Columbus's calculations regarding how long it would take to reach India were inaccurate. Well, that would affect how much food and fresh water he would need to take along for the crew. Well, the church leaders were right about this. Their size calculations were more accurate than those of Columbus. All of them who talked with Columbus assumed that the Earth was round. Is Dr Larson the only scholar who believes this? No, far from it. Even some atheists. The late Dr Stephen Jay Gould wrote, The 19th century invention of the flat Earth occurred to support another dubious and harmful separation, the supposed warfare between science and religion. So, one atheist admitted that other atheists invented the flat earth lie to convince more people to believe the lie that science was at war with religion. Yes, Dr Gould's words are worth repeating. The 19th century invention of the flat earth occurred to support another dubious and harmful separation, the supposed warfare between science and religion. But if an idea is untrue, why would anyone want to promote a falsehood? I mentioned that the English biologist T.H. Huxley was a major figure in constructing the notion of the war between theology and science. He really considered himself an atheist, but 19th century English society frowned on atheism, so he made his ideas more acceptable by inventing the word agnostic and defining it as someone who doesn't know whether God exists or not. Warfare was Huxley's favourite metaphor for the relationship between science and religion, 
Huxley even described himself as a gladiator general in this alleged fight. It sounds as if the gladiator general used colourful figurative language. Surprisingly, Larson observes that Huxley's most savage attack was not against traditional Christians who at that time were opposing evolution. It was against biologist St. George Jackson Mivar. Mivar infuriated Huxley by accepting scientific claims, not rejecting them. He claimed that Darwinism was perfectly compatible with historic Christian teaching. So Huxley would be angry with him because Huxley was trying to convince the public that faith and scientific knowledge were at war. Yes, he insisted that Mivar had to choose whether he wanted to be a true son of the church or a loyal soldier of science. Another military metaphor. It was in that context that Dr. Larson wrote the sentence we quoted earlier in today's programme. In short, Huxley was not witnessing a fight between faith and science. He was trying to provoke one. Why did Huxley want to fight? Yale University history professor Frank Turner is convinced that the notion of a conflict between theology and science was generated as part of a campaign of professionalization by would-be scientists. In the mid-19th century, there was no such profession. Charles Babbage, the brilliant mathematical thinker who first conceived the programmable computer, observed in 1851, science in England is not a profession. Its cultivators are scarcely recognised even as a class. Our language itself contains no single term by which their occupation can be expressed. Is he saying that there wasn't even a word for scientist? Yes, Today, the word scientist means a respected professional who's paid for doing important work. In 19th century England, there were only men of science. Larson explains, like its counterpart, men of letters. That referred more to the pursuits of gentlemen of leisure than to what someone did for a living. In other words, literature and science were both hobbies for people who could afford them, not vocations for serious professionals who were paid for their work. That strongly frustrated Huxley. But how did he think creating a war between science and religion would change his employment situation? We'll answer that question in our next episode as we continue discussing the war that never was. Let me ask where you live. That determines which email address you'll need to contact us. In most countries, use TruthTest at truthinthetesttube.org. That's TruthTest at truthinthetesttube.org. Listeners in India have their own address, testtube at radio882.com. That's testtube at radio882.com. Thanks for making Truth in the Test Tube a street for two-way communication.